There are a set of laws and rules that all of us experience every day. And whether we understand the science and the math behind these laws and, and rules has no impact whatsoever on what we experience. But it does have an impact on how we perceive and make decisions based on what we experience. I don't have to understand the complexities of gravity to know if I drop something, it goes down and not up. But the reason I think this happens can be very different from why someone else thinks it happens. There's an entire culture and society that's built around the idea of a flat earth. While I may think this is a ridiculous idea based on my knowledge and beliefs and things I've read, a flat earther feels I'm just as crazy for thinking we're on a spinning ball and the people in Australia are standing upside down. If you're unfamiliar with the world of flat earthers, I've added a link in the description to several YouTube videos. I highly recommend you check them out. But my point is, two people can experience the exact same thing and both can have very different explanations for why it happens. Now, nowhere is this more prevalent than in sales. Uh, two people can have very different sets of beliefs about how to sell successfully, but just like gravity, you being a flat earther or a glober doesn't change that what you drop falls down instead of up. I am back in the studio and today I am ready to share with you my ideas on the laws of sales and selling. These 17 core beliefs form the foundation of how I train, develop, and achieve consistent results. They are also the 17 core beliefs that I work tirelessly to instill in any team that I'm on. My belief is that if my people understand and follow these, they will have a set of tools, formulas, and tactics to adapt, overcome, and succeed in any selling situation. So here we go. The 17 Laws of Selling According to Troy Graham. Now, on with the countdown. Number one. You mock my pain. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Customers are here on purpose. They make a deliberate attempt to show up based on a trigger event in their lives 90 seconds to 90 days ago. Put the pain on the table. There are no coincidences. The person you're speaking to has a very specific and likely very painful reason. They took your call, answered your email, or walked into your showroom. There was something painful that happened to them 90 days to 90 seconds ago. Yes, 90 seconds ago. If you're in the car business, picture someone getting an $8,000 repair bill on their 15-year-old car takes about 90 seconds for them to think about buying something different. You need to make sure you're identifying what the pain is. Yes, they will tell you it's because of your sale or your mailer, a TV commercial, an incentive they heard about on the radio. But the fact is, it's because of their pain. You need to focus on that because not making a buying decision today is choosing to continue to live with the pain. Rush said it best. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Number two. 
People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, but actually, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, it's more like a big ball of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. It got away from me, yeah. Time kills deals. This is a fact and is tied into rule one. The longer the deal drags, the greater the likelihood of the pain of change becoming more than the pain of staying the same. We all have a threshold of when the squeeze just isn't worth the juice. More and more sales organizations are beginning to understand that the speed of the process has as much to do with completing the sale as any other factor. The longer the process takes, the closer it gets to that threshold. And once it's crossed, you're in trouble. Think of all the times you've waited, no matter how good of a deal you are getting or how great the service is or how important the thing you are waiting for is, you weren't happy. If it goes on for too long, our natural instinct is to simply quit, move on. How long will you stay on hold? How long will you wait for a table after being told it's just... Number three. How long have you had these, Troy? About three or four seasons. They're up for sale if you want them. Let me see your identification. You don't need to see his identification. We don't need to see his identification. These aren't the droids you're looking for. These aren't the droids we're looking for. He can go about his business. You can go about your business. Move along. Move along. Move along. Nobody walks till the boss talks. And you ain't the boss. Hostage negotiators, politicians, even kids know how powerful a change of face can be when they're trying to get what they want. The most successful negotiators use third-party authority to their advantage. Don't let your ego get in the way of your wallet. And managers, the first time you embarrass someone for getting a TO, a turnover, is the last time they'll let you. We teach our people by what we do, how we act, what we praise them for, and what we reprimand or shame them for. If a salesperson calls you in on a TO, thank them. Tell them they did the right thing. And then don't let the people around them make them feel less than for doing what they're supposed to do. Number four. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. Yeah, I like to move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. Yeah, I like to move it. Both you and your customer have two ears, two arms, two legs, and two eyes, but only one mouth. We can't underestimate the power of using movement and physical space to influence the prospect and be a force multiplier to the sales process. Sales processes at rest tend to stay at rest and processes in motion tend to stay in motion. 
Additionally, we need to remember that the person answering the questions isn't the one in control. The person asking them is. Don't talk so much that you sound like a monologuing action movie villain. Active listening and how to use physical space takes practice. Here's an easy place to start. Make it a habit to start repeating the last three words the prospect says to you. Now, this requires you to focus on what they're saying, and then it will compel them to provide you more information. To start practicing using physical space and movement, have three points of movement already set at three points in your process or your presentations. These can be as small as switching places with the prospect or as large as a facility tour. Movement creates action and action creates sales. Number five. serious coronary condition on duty with a clean bill of health and that man died from a heart-related incident you'd have a lot to answer for wouldn't you doctor object move to strike sustained i have no more questions your honor dr stone you've held the license to practice medicine for 17 years you're board certified in internal medicine you are chief of internal medicine at a hospital which serves 5,426 people in your professional medical opinion was Willie Santiago poisoned? Your Honor, we renew our objection to Commander Stone's testimony and ask that it be stricken from the record. We further ask the court to instruct the court members to lend no weight to this witness's testimony. The objections overruled, counsel. Your Honor, the defense strenuously objects and requests an 802 conference so that his honor might have an opportunity to hear discussion before ruling on this objection. The objection of the defense has been heard and overruled. Move to reconsider. Your objection is noted. Strenuously object. Is that how it works? Hmm? Objection. Overruled. No, 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 no. No, I strenuously object. Oh, wow. Strenuously object, and I should take some time to reconsider. I got it on the record. Yeah, you also got the court members thinking we're afraid of the doctor. You object once so they can hear us say he's not a criminologist. You keep after it the way you did, and suddenly our great cross looks like a bunch of fancy lawyer tricks. It's a difference between paper law and trial law. Sam. Christ! <laughs> Assume facts not in evidence. Overcome objections before they come up and stop creating new ones. Sales managers and trainers for years have told salespeople they need to ask the right questions. And most of the time it ends there. Ask most of these same people what the right questions are and they'll start referring to the questions or give vague generalities. The reality is, is we already know what the right questions are. There's an entire list of them and they are so powerful and can exert so much influence over decision-making that they're not allowed in a court of law. The answer to what are the right questions is half of the questions that an attorney would object to and a judge would accept. Like everything in life, this list can be divided in half. Half you ask, half you avoid. Let's focus on the half you ask. Ask and answered. When the same attorney continues to ask the same question and they have already received an answer. Ask the jury to prejudice the evidence. The jury cannot promise to vote a certain way, even if certain facts are proven. 
Assume facts, not in evidence. The question assumes something is true for which there's no evidence has been shown. Beyond the scope. A question asked during cross must be within the scope of direct and so forth. Calls for a conclusion. The question asks for an opinion rather than facts. Calls for speculation. The question asks the witness to guess the answer rather than rely on known facts. Counsel is testifying. This objection is sometimes used when counsel is leading or assuming facts not in evidence. Foundation. The question relates to matters of which the witness's personal knowledge has not been established. Hearsay. An out-of-court statement used to prove the fact that the statement is being offered for. Leading question. The question suggests the answer to the witness. Narrative. The question asks the witness to relate a story rather than state specific facts. Nothing pending. The witness continues to speak on matters irrelevant to the question. For example, an attorney who asks, did you call your mother and gets the answer? Yes, she called at three o'clock. They can object to the latter part. So there's the first part of the powerful question list, the ones we're supposed to ask. But for this rule, we're going to focus on just one. Assume facts, not in evidence. There is nothing more frustrated than after completing a presentation, demonstration, or proposal to a client or prospect for them to say, I need to check with a third party, or I need to check my budget, or this is the first place I've shopped. Now, you can't prevent this response 100% of the time. But there are a few things you can do to have it happen less frequently. For instance, instead of asking, what's your budget? Ask, so when you sat down and figured out your budget, I'm sure you've already had that meeting, right? Did you decide you wanted to be higher or lower than $15,000 for the product? Or if it's payments, did you decide while you were budgeting last night sitting at the kitchen table that you wanted to be higher or lower than 500 a month. How much lower? 450? 400? 350? 325, gotcha. So you've already determined that that was the number that fit in your budget. Or since you've been shopping, what have you seen you really liked? Or when you were looking at other products, which one really impressed you? These are simple ways to avoid the dreaded, let me think about it, I need to check, I haven't shopped yet. Start using them today. Number six. Plan A taught you the five-point palm exploding heart technique. Of course he did. There are five prime objections, and they aren't what you think. If asked what the five objections are, most people in sales or marketing uh, answer with some version of price, payment, carrying charges, or some other related cost issue. The fact is, they are all describing just one of the prime objections, the numbers. So for those who don't know, the five objections are one, not in the market, two, not a priority, 
three, spouse, third party, four, think about it, and five, the number. And these have their own rules. Uh, number one, you can't use one objection to overcome another. Two, a sale does not happen until all three are satisfied. And three, if a sale doesn't happen, it's because one of these is left unsatisfied. And four, we can overcome these objections or allow the customer to overcome them themselves. Lots to be said on these five that we'll pick up in another podcast in the future. But the most important thing is understanding that it comes down to those five and that the sales process is designed to overcome each and every one of them. Know your sales process and overcoming the objections becomes immensely easier. Number seven. Okay. You know, there's a word, uh, misdirection, yeah. that's uh, used by lay people a lot. It's a magical term. It's a term of art. And the way lay people use it is wrong. Because lay people often use it as a, as a synonym for distraction. Like, hey, look over there, do something sneaky here, and then you look back and the, the trick's done. That doesn't fool anyone. Mm -hmm. The way we use the word misdirection is kind of a, a curating of attention, giving the audience a story that can tell themselves that lets them not really know they were distracted. We're going to do a trick right now using misdirection. I'm going to tell you what it is. The trick is the vanishing chicken. There's a chicken in there. We're going to make it disappear. Now, when I say give you a story to tell yourself, it's not some jive-ass story like this is Clucky McCluckface and this is the... Chicken coop rocket ship to Mars, no, a real story, which is you know it's a vanishing chicken. I've told you that. Yes. You know we're Penn and Teller. You know we do magic tricks. So as soon as I cover up this chicken, you're telling yourself what you're going to do. You're telling yourself a story. You're making yourself a promise. Because you're promising yourself right now that at no time will you allow your attention... <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> Misdirection. Now, <laughs> yeah. Jimmy, I want to see how well this works. Get the house lights up so I can see people. Yeah, I just want to see. Show of hands. How many of you saw the gorilla with the symbols? Should be everyone. It's a goddamn gorilla with symbols. Should be all of you. Yes, Good. yes. Now, subset of that, how many of you saw Teller walk out here, cop the chicken, and split? That's, that's almost everyone, too. Now, here's where the misdirection comes in. How many of you, during all of that, saw sneak the gorilla into the cage? I never saw that because that's what? misdirection. Don't mistake buying signs for objections. Don't mistake stalls and initial objections for true objections. When a prospect points out an issue with your product or service, most of the time, it's a negotiation tool and not a refusal. If they weren't interested in the truck, why would they care if it had a scratch on it? If they point out your service doesn't provide a certain function, it doesn't mean they won't buy. It means they like the rest of it, but maybe they're not crazy about the price. 99% of all people negotiate by saying no. And every prospect feels they need to act displeased 
uninterested to get a good deal or the best price. Focus on their statements as buying signs and close with it. For instance, but that wouldn't stop you from buying it, right? Or, so if we manage that one issue, we can go ahead and agree to the rest of the proposal, right? So that's the one and only thing holding you back from saying yes. Do I have that right? We need to expect initial objections, possible lowball offers, and general stalls. Our job as salespeople is to move past them, through them, and actually towards them to get the prospect to agree to giving us a, that's right. On average, a prospect has to be actively asked to buy five to seven times before you get that, that's right. So don't stop at the first bump or think no means never. Number eight. I'm sorry, George. I don't understand. Things were going so great. What, what happened? Something must have happened. It's not you. It's me. You're giving me the it's not you, it's me routine? I invented it's not you, it's me. Nobody tells me it's them, not me. If it's anybody, it's me. All right. George, it's you. You're damn right it's me. Look, I was just trying to get... I know what you were trying to do. Nobody does it better than me. Well, I'm sure you do it very well. Yes, well, unfortunately, you'll never get the chance to find out. <laughs> Do not deny the miss. Getting mad or blaming the customer just means you will miss the next deal. Blaming the customer and denying the miss protects your ego, but it does nothing to help you get better. You must believe that if the customer does not buy, it's your fault and not theirs. When we label people as unrealistic or not ready to buy or in some worse terms, we deny our failing and put the buying responsibility on them instead of holding ourselves and our teams accountable for the selling responsibility. It's tough to do, but it pays off. Number nine. You should do your job. That's what I'm trying to say. You should do your job because it's your job. Because you're the person standing there doing that thing. So just do it. Do the shit out of it. Why wouldn't you? It drives me crazy when someone has a job that they don't like, so they do it shitty. What kind of a response is that? If you do it shitty, isn't it worse for you? Like, I travel, so I, I have to, I need help all the time. And I, like, I rent a car, and I always want another one. I'm crazy. So I get a car, I'm like, I don't like it, I want another car. So I go to the counter, can I get a different car? And sometimes I get the person who's like, why? Because I'm a dick, give it to me. What, what do you, what do you, what's wrong with it? I'm crazy is what's wrong with it. You're, you're wearing a vest that matches the building. Just do the thing that is the point of the place. It's not the customer's job to get you 
to do yours. Take the initiative at every step. Don't wait for permission or until the prospect asks you to drive or see it work or what the numbers look like. Be the person leading the process, not the one waiting for an easy close. Number 10. Hey folks, Wish SE. Today we're going to be talking about developing your skills, particularly marksmanship on pistol, by shooting small targets. One of the things that people often do is they go out to the range, they get a gun, and they shoot at long distances, what I consider long for a handgun, before they've really mastered trigger control, sight alignment, and precision. So we're going to show you a couple of different targets today and just talk to you about why shooting small targets can improve your accuracy dramatically. Small targets means small misses. One step at a time. If you aim for the whole deal and you miss, you're done. Only aim one step ahead. When your goal is to eat the elephant in one bite, you usually end up hungry. This goes back to number nine. Your goal should be to move the customer just one step further than they intended, one step at a time. If you focus on these small targets and miss one of them, you still have a chance to take a second shot. When you go all in and miss, you seldom get that second shot. Number 11. Were you talking to the right guy? Claridge High Tech semi automatic 9mm pistol. Two downtown? I agree. M24 shotgun pump action. Five round magazine. You know what? You're not a hunter. What am I talking about? I'm getting rid of it. This is the FN2000 from Belgium. They do make something better than waffles. It's beautiful, but I can tell this isn't disco enough for you, so I'm gonna put it right here. We're looking at a Milcore 40 millimeter grenade launcher. Tear gas, smoke, hippie control. You're tough. Let me tell you something, size does matter. Don't let anyone tell you different. This is an M134 762 minigun, six individual barrels, the torso taker, powder maker. Our boys in uniform call it Uncle Gaspacho or Puff the Magic Dragon. Okay. These are the Cubans, baby. These are the Cohibas, the Monte Cristos. This is a kinetic kill sidewinder vehicle with a secondary cyclotrimethylene trinitramine RDX burst. It's capable of busting the bunker under the bunker you just busted. If it were any smarter, it would write a book. A book that would make Ulysses look like it was written in crayon. And it would read it to you. This is my Eiffel Tower. This is my Rachmaninoff's third, my Pieta. It's completely elegant, it's bafflingly beautiful, and it's capable of reducing the population of any standing structure to zero. I call it the ex-wife. That's the best I got. Are you gonna do this? Give me something here. You're like a sphinx. I, I, I can't read you. 
I think I'll take it. Which one? All of it. All of it. Whatever you focus on expands. So never tell a customer what you can't do, only what you can do. Far too many times we automatically tell a customer, a client, or a prospect, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Or I'm sorry, but we aren't able to accommodate you. Or I hope you understand, but that's just not possible. Think of a time you had a problem. If it was with a product or a service, or if you were negotiating a contract or some type of purchase. Did you really want to hear, I'm sorry, or what they couldn't do? Of course not. Start your openings with phrases like, let me show you what we can do. I'm able to do this and learn the power of yes, if, yes, when, and yes, after. Number 12. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I know I'm doing it really, really well. You always begin with the end in mind. Whether you realize it or not, you always begin every interaction with the end in mind. That's just the way our brains are built. We overhype the outcome in our mind and quite often get the results we were imagining. Now, I'm not advising you to go out and buy 10 copies of The Secret or hold manifesting meetings with your team. What I am saying is take control of the outcome by taking control of what your goal is at the beginning. Number 13. The likelihood of one individual being right increases in direct proportion to the intensity with which others are trying to prove him wrong. Pendleton Joseph, due to arrive 10.17 a.m., March 20th of the year 2025. Sir, I really can't believe it. I, I took him out of, I, I took him out just before the accident. There's no you way that car could have missed what? it. It's not possible. You're not supposed to take him out before. You're supposed to wait for the outcome. Yes, sir, I know, but I was so sure, and, and besides, it looked like it was going to be so painful. Wait a minute, are you saying... Is this your first assignment as an escort? Yes, sir. Haven't you learned the rules of probability and outcome? Aren't you aware that every question of life and death remains a probability until the outcome? Hey, so he jumped the gun. Anybody could have done that. Just put me back where you found me and we'll forget the whole thing, huh? This man must be put back into his body at once. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mr. Jordan. Hey, I'll see you in about 50 years. The most common reason a deal is missed is trying to be too perfect. Fact is, any plan designed to work perfectly is perfectly designed to fail. Over-engineering or running tight along the margins is the surest way to lose a deal. Make sure you're giving yourself some breathing room and focus on the deal first and then what it looks like second. Number 14. Don't ever, for any reason, do anything to anyone 
for any reason, ever, no matter what, no matter where or who or who you are with or, or where you are going or, or where you've been, ever, for any reason whatsoever. The process is the concept. All that matters is the sale. Stop worrying about small mistakes. This ties right back into the last rule. In the car business, there's a saying, nothing bad happens when you sell a car. Stop thinking there are good sales and bad sales. Every sale is nothing more than the start of a relationship. And the fact is, if you don't get that first sale, your chances of getting the second one is zero. Number 15. Dressed as one. They dressed me up like this. <laughs> and this isn't my nose, it's a false one. Will? Well, we did do the nose. The nose? And the hat. But she is a witch. <laughs> did you dress her up like this? No! 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 no. no. Yes. 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 A bit. A bit. She has got a wart. What makes you think she is a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt. A newt. I got better. Burn her anyway! There are ways of telling whether she is a witch. Are there? Well, they tell us. Tell me. What do you do with witches? <laughs> and what do you burn apart from witches? More witches! Wood! So, why do witches burn? Because they're made of wood. Good! Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, how do we tell whether she is made of wood? Build a bridge out of her. Ah, but can you not also make bridges out of stone? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah, cool. Uh... Uh, does a wood sink in water? No, 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 it floats. It floats over into the pond. <laughs> what also floats in water? Bread. Apples. Uh, very small rocks. Cider. A great gravy. Cherries. Mud. A churches, churches, lead, lead, a duck. Exactly. So, logically, if she weighs the same as a duck, she's made of wood. And therefore, 
A witch! A witch! We shall use my larger scales. Fact finding never ends. There's a well-established law in quantum physics that says the end tells you much more than the beginning does. What this means is your first observation is not nearly as important as every observation after that. Fact finding isn't a one and done. It's not a single enclosed step in the process. It's ongoing and ever-changing exploration of what it takes to sell the prospect now, of finding the pain and offering a solution. And sometimes that changes as you work through the process. Always be closing? Very true. But how do you close? You close by discovering information and leveraging that to show how you can solve the problem. Number 16. Come on, Dad. Let's get out of here. The bright spot is, at least we know if we have this problem, everybody has this problem. Gentlemen, before you leave, can I just say something? I don't know, Don. Can you? The Federal Trade Commission and Reader's Digest have done you a favor. They've let you know that any ad that brings up the concept of cigarettes and health together, well, it's just going to make people think of cancer. Yes, and we're grateful to them. But what Lee Jr. said is right. You can't make those health claims, neither can your competitors. So, we got a lot of people not saying anything that sells cigarettes. Not exactly. This is the greatest advertising opportunity since the invention of cereal. We have six identical companies making six identical products. We can say anything we want. How do you make your cigarettes? I don't know. Shame on you. We breed insect repellent tobacco seeds, plant them in the North Carolina sunshine, grow it, cut it, cure it, toast it. There you go. There you go. But everybody else's tobacco is toasted. No, everybody else's tobacco is poisonous. Lucky Strikes is toasted. Well, gentlemen, I don't think I have to tell you what you just witnessed here. I think you do. Advertising is based on one thing. Happiness. And you know what happiness is? Happiness is the smell of a new car. It's freedom from fear. It's a billboard on the side of the road that screams with reassurance that whatever you're doing, it's okay. You are okay. It's toasted. I get it. 
go for no. Too many times we get a yes that's a false yes or a exit yes. The goal should be to get to no first and then move to agreement. Get a that's right. This means you and the prospect have both agreed on the solution and now you're ready to close. Fact is, most people will give you a yes as quickly as possible if they figure out that's the best way to get you to stop talking or to allow them to leave the situation. This is a false or a exit yes. When you go for no, you're making them think what they don't like and expose the objection you need to overcome. The reality is the only objection you can never overcome is the one you never hear. Your goal is agreement, not a temporary or false or exit yes. Number 17. Waitress, could I get that shrimp cocktail I saw in the glass case? Yep. And you, what can I get? Jesus, what happened to your face? I knew it. See, Richard, I'll have chicken wings. Kitchen's closed until dinner. Just got cold stuff and desserts. Boy, some chicken wings would really hit the spot. You sure it's closed? Let me check. Yep, it's closed. Okay, I'll just have a sugar packet or two. (laughs) Hey, what's your name? Helen. That's nice. You look like a Helen. Helen, we're both in sales. Let me tell you why I suck as a salesman. Let's say I go into some guy's office. Let's say he's even remotely interested in buying something. Well, then I get all excited. I'm like, Jojo, the idiot circus boy with a pretty new pet. The pet is my possible sale. Oh, my pretty little pet. I love you. So I stroke it, and I pet it, and I massage it. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love my little naughty pet. You're naughty. And then I take my naughty pet and I go... (laughs) Oh! I killed it! I killed my sale. (laughs) That's when I blow it. That's when people like us have got to forge ahead, Helen. Am I right? God, you're sick. Tell you what, I'll go turn the fryers back on and throw some wings in for you. Hey, thanks, Helen. Tummy likey. Tummy want wingy. Did that board of the head knock something loose? What are you talking about? That 180 you just pulled at the waitress. Why can't you sell like that? I was just having fun. If we didn't get the wings, so what? We still got that meat lover's pizza in the trunk. Hey, you got the wings because you were relaxed. So you had confidence. And that's what it takes to sell. Confidence. Your dad had that. And here's the most important. We all need to remember this. All of us are salespeople. We are all selling something all day, every day. Doesn't matter what you do for a living or your age or your socioeconomic position. Fact is, kids are the best salespeople. They never give up. They always ask why. And they know what they want. If you want to be a good salesperson, watch a little kid who is really, really good at what they want. 
So let me know. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Are you somewhere in the middle? Let me know what you think. I look forward to hearing from you and I'll see you next time. Remember, like, follow, share, subscribe. The more people are involved with this, the better it gets. Thank you again and have a fantastic day. Thank you.